Blog Talk Radio. Always the notorious Ben Florence B Flow. It's our Thanksgiving episode. What's something to right. be thankful for? Uh, always got uh, so much to be thankful for, particularly the show to start it off. <laughs> yeah. Okay, too, too kind. Of course, obviously for family and good health. Uh, also thankful for many other things, this show being included. Thankful for. Uh, <laughs> The awesome co-host and the great show that we actually have planned today. Special 90-minute show here on blogtalkradio.com. Because we will be out of studio next week as we've decided to honor the uh, the lost holiday of Thanksgiving to give a chance to uh, recover from the Thanksgiving meal. But once again, FNAC Radio presented by 1-800-Flowers as we like to give thanks and send smiles. As you can save 20% when you order flowers and gifts from our executive collection at 1-800-Flowers.com. Use promo code TURKEY20, and that's spelled T-R-K-Y-T-W-N-T-Y when you check out. Offer ends November 25th. So get your flowers ASAP, courtesy of Fanatic Radio, because we love you so much. Big show for you on hand, busy show, as we will talk with Kendra Faustin, who is women's basketball coach of the Niagara women's basketball team, who was stranded on a bus for more than 24 hours this past week during the horrendous snow that was uh, affecting uh, northwest New York, including up in the Buffalo area, the uh, the Great Lake Effect snow. Andrew Wiebe of MLSsoccer.com will join us in a few minutes to talk about the U.S. men's national team and uh, the breakdown of the semifinalists left in the MLS playoffs. But, of course, it is now time for our annual... Courtesy yes. borrowed by PTI, FNAC Radio Turkey. <laughs> so basically, it's, it's it's whoever the turkeys of the year are. And Beefle, I know you've been we've been thinking about this for quite some time. Lead us off. Who is of one of your three turkeys of the year? All right, my first turkey of the year is going to be the soon-to-be former head coach at Florida, their football team. Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp has done a great job of taking Florida from what was a national championship contender to a team that is, as uh, Pat Forty said, they're running a uh, uh, basically a pro magnon, basically barbarian style style of football. They lost, and this is the greatest thing ever. They lost to Missouri. By like 30, and they gave up 120 yards of total offense. That's just incomprehensible. Uh, you know, great coordinator. He's going to get a ton of money in that regard. But he really has just been a mess of head coach. And when you have fans uh, pining for the days of Ron Zuck, that's when you know 
You're not the guy. That's why you got to act. Yeah, definitely a coordinator that tried to be. It's sort of like the Charlie Weiss effect. I mean, he had a great year at Notre Dame, but then when he bounced around to all the other schools, it just made no sense. My first turkey um, is it's, it's someone who's a little obvious. I don't know if, he's, if, if I stole your idea or not, but we'll go with Johnny Manziel yes. of, the Cle- of the Cleveland Browns, former Heisman Ooh. Trophy winner. Basically, he makes this list because great college quarterback, but had everyone caught up in hysteria and and Johnny Football Bonanza, which isn't you know is not a bad thing, but he has taken less than ten snaps in the NFL. The guy he's competing with, Brian Hoyer, is has led this renaissance of football in Cleveland. They're one of the best in the AFC North, and all Johnny Manziel is doing is still getting endorsement deals for not playing. Jeez, Johnny Zambogie <laughs> Snickers. I was in the airport last week, and he was on the cover of Golf Digest. It's, we should, it, it's like the Tim Tebow effect. And sad enough, That's quarterbacks right. like him are a dying breed because we're seeing guys like Tom Brady and your boy Aaron Rodgers put up just monumental numbers. And Peyton Manning, who broke Brett Favre's record, passing quarterbacks are dominating the NFL. And yeah. Johnny Football is, is such a dying breed. Plus, he's a hack. You know, he he left Manning passing quarterback because of dehydration, which we all you know speculate that he was drinking the night before. He's going out to <laughs> Vegas partying with Mayweather and Bieber. So Johnny Manziel makes the list. Flo, who's your second turkey? Second turkey of the year, and this is the latest sports. It's the, uh, the international superstar that is Drake. Not for his music, but for uh. his. <laughs> His foreign dog uh, appreciation of every successful sports team, particularly the NCAA tournament, which was so ridiculous. And then the best part, of course, when he was, for some reason, in the, the shooting line at uh, the Big Blue uh, Kentucky open, uh, practice, uh, Midnight Madness, and he, they gave him a shot, and he took a three ball, and he airballed. I mean, he's looking like me out there. I mean, so, Drake. You're a turkey. I know you're listening out right now. You got to calm down, buddy. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like he's like that friend that you know is a nice guy, and and, and what he yeah. does is fantastic. A Grammy award-winning artist making millions, but he's that he's the one guy that's like, oh, we don't. Oh, you're ring, ringing Drake today. Oh no, please don't. But he's yeah. a nice guy. <laughs> but, but it's funny because yeah, every team that's good, he's there. He actually. You know, now goes to Toronto Raptors games, which he should have all along. It's his hometown team. But cool. now, you know, you, there's there's stories about how the Miami he wanted to go to the Miami Heat locker room after they won their first title, That's and right. security <laughs> would security wouldn't let him in because he didn't have the right credentials, and he got all mad, yeah. which it which makes no sense. But come on, Drake, you're not a Miami Heat fan. Yeah, you're a mess. Uh, my second turkey is speaking of international stars. This one goes to uh, our good friend Seth Blatter, FIFA president, who is slowly, as some would say, ruining the integrity of the international governing body of soccer. World Cup was in Brazil. It seems like eons, eons, eons ago, in the middle of the summer. But did you know? Did a nice, luckily, a nice job of covering up all the all the potential riots and and you know, looting in the streets of. Of Brazil, but you know he's a turkey. He put a stadium in Manaus, which caused <laughs> cramping, injuries, economic trouble, and strife. 
Now he's fighting a lawsuit against the Women's World Cup players over the turf war for the World Cup next summer in Canada. Seth Blatter, and then, then they go off of people and make some movie, which I have no idea how it did in the box office. I don't think I don't know anyone that wants to go see it, but it's basically Fail. a self-promoting movie after all this. <laughs> so Seth Blatter makes my number two turkey, just because you know he's, he's the old man that's, that's trying everything he can because he's now reached that point where he doesn't care what happens; he will continue <laughs> just to make, to make you mad just to push your buttons. Yeah. And Flo, your final turkey. Of the uh, the wondrous 2014. Uh, probably the turkey I saw in my backyard. If ever, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, my third turkey of the year is got to be give me a joint award to two players, both in the NFC North, Stephen Tulloch of the Detroit Lions and Lamar Houston of the Chicago Bears. Why? Well, first, Stephen Tulloch against the Packers very early in the year. He celebrated a sack. He did kind of a hearty dance. He tore his ACL for the year. You think players will learn from that? No. Lamar Houston, while his team was down by by over 20 points to the Patriots, got a second time Brady, did a very similar dance. He tore his ACL, lost for the year. I mean, you know, I, no, everybody should have learned from the, the great moment. Well, not the great moment. Bill Gramatica, kicker for the Arizona, not the Phoenix Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals like a decade ago, Kicked the game when he field goal, and he jumped around and celebrated. He, like, broke his leg without for three years. Never, never the same player after. Maybe your player should learn, don't jump around like a hooligan, and then you get hurt. You get a little lost for the season. It's totally ridiculous. These guys are total turkeys, but you won't be seeing them on my Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know about you. Whatever happened to Pride? Exactly. So uh, we'll get to uh, to my final turkey of the year, and we'll go a little NASCAR with this one. I'm giving it to Brad Keselowski because he gained, he basically he gained basically Bad Brad gained the role of of the new public enemy number one in NASCAR, taking yeah. the torch from from Rowdy Bush after what was just in this because people didn't like him to begin with, and some people sort of liked him, but he, yeah. he became public enemy number one in, in a span of less than a month. Because you had the entire fiasco at Charlotte. Because first of all, he's, he's, he's this year he's the winningest driver this year, which which we'll come back to that in a minute. But he's the winningest yeah. driver this year goes out and dominates several races. Penske cars are fantastic, but then it gets to Charlotte where him and Danny Hamlin get in this this outrageous beef where he's driving through pit lane, smashing into Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart, you know, smashes his car. He goes chasing <laughs> Hamlin through the garage, tire marks everywhere. And then he ultimately gets tackled. He gets tackled by Matt Kenseth in, in oh, light of yeah. all this. So fight number one, everyone thinks yes, you know, boys have at it. And then just a couple of weeks down the road, goes for the win in a do or die situation. Hits, cuts Jeff Gordon's tire, and then another fight yeah. ensues. So in, in, in less than a month, he was the uh, the you know, antagonist of two fights. And yep. the reason why he's Turkey of the Year is where did it get him? Nowhere, because he didn't qualify for the last championship yeah. race. So he basically wasted, not wasted, but failed to advance after six wins. But we and love his wicked apple. We do. And but also <laughs> tricky, because after the Texas race, when he got a top, top three, he compared himself to uh, Dale Earnhardt and Ayrton Senna. Now, that that's, that's just putting salt in the wound, because he just compared himself to 
two guys that have combined ten championships, you yeah. know, hundreds of hundreds of wins. And Only two are, of the greatest drivers, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, what? It just, it's Santa. Oh. Keselowski just just ran him up. What did Kansas do? Well, there you go. There's our Fanatic Radio. There's our Fanatic Radio, Turkeys of the Year, presented by 100 yeah. Flowers. Make sure to give thanks, send smiles, and save 20%. Use the promo code TRKYTWNTY when you check out an order from the exclusive collection at 100flowers.com. Offer ends 11-25-14. Beefo, um, how was, first of all, how was your week? We, uh, we, sort of, we sort of glossed over that when we got to our turkeys. That's right. Uh, you know, November's really not a winter month, but it has just been, for pretty much every day, it's just been bone-chillingly cold all week. The cold front that is sweat that, that is uh, the, the sensation across America, has truly hit us. It's just been extremely cold for the last week or so, say for a couple of days. That was ridiculous. It's going to be in the 40s on Saturday. It's going to be like in the 50s. It's going to hit a high of 70 on Monday. I mean, what is going on here? I don't know. Why, why is the weather getting nice even though it rains? Well, when I'm leaving, going back home to uh, the good uh, 07401. But I don't know. It's, the weather is that it got so cold out of nowhere. That's the point. Yeah, it was only cold. It's only cold for a matter of days when you think about yeah. it, because here in here in Dallas alone, it was, you know, in the 30s, high 20s, and now today it's like 60s. Yesterday it was 70, so yeah. it's it's out of control. And we'll actually be mentioning that later in the show when we have Kendra Foston, head women's basketball coach of Niagara, <clears throat> who was on who was trapped on a bus for for 30 plus hours. But because of this, because of this Thanksgiving show, we will be cramming college football and NFL games uh, in, in, a, in, a future, in a future segment. But um, as, as we wait for as we wait for uh, for Andrew Weeby of MLSsoccer.com to uh, to get in touch with us, might as well give you a little spice of, uh, of America's game for America's holiday. The NFL rolls in. What are your thoughts on the Peterson scenario? And what's going on with that? Well, it's it's really a, an interesting scenario because well, the union at one point was like, he's been, re, you know, the, the deal is, uh, you, you know, he's played no contest. The, 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 you know, the legal aspect, it is old. The problem now is that the NFL is not spreading him for the year. And he's, it's going to, I would be really surprised. I mean, it's possible, but. And he will appeal that ultimately he will play. I would be surprised if that were the case because they're suspending him for violating the personal conduct policy. But it, the, the whole thing is just its just a continuation. We're now back to the issues of playing in the league before. Fortunately, at least initially, the league in this situation got it right. The Vikings did not get it right. But at least ultimately they did get it right. But now it's that you pleaded no contest, which of course, of course is not pleading guilty or innocent. So it's kind of like a no man. And but it's just the situation. It's just it's it, I, in my opinion, I think it's only going to get ugly because we're in relatively, at least from what I know, 
relative uh, terrain that the league has not really gone into. And so I think that this issue, and then ultimately the Ray Rice issue is going to come back up with that whole appeal. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's definitely a mess right now for the, the NFL in this situation. In my opinion, we can't we, we will have to fix. And of course, now we will uh, we'll st- step back from football for a minute, take a look at the uh, the other football. As we are now joined by Andrew Weeby of MLSSoccer.com, joining us here on the show. Andrew, first off, uh, how are you doing uh, this Friday? I'm doing great, guys. Just looking forward to Sunday, uh, one of those days that that soccer fans in North America and uh, and especially uh, in LA and and Seattle and New York and Boston uh, can all get very very excited about. Yeah, it's great that we have some big media markets uh, in the MLS playoffs we'll get to that sort of toward the tail end of the interview but definitely want to start off with the u.s men's national team the past few weeks competed in some international friendlies post world cup great world cup run we had and then only one win to close out the 2014 calendar year just watching the games unfold from being able to hold on leads and then sort of just lose it in those last 10 minutes of the match what were your overall impressions of those friendlies well, I think they're disappointing, and there's there's certainly no doubt about that. And I, I think the disappointing part is that it seems to be, as you mentioned, some of the same problems cropping up over and over and over. One thing that I would say about the World Cup is that in, in some ways, um, what was a, a, an unbelievable run to, to the knockout rounds there was, you know, there were some issues that were kind of papered over um, with that with that success. Um, in that tournament, the, the U.S. just didn't possess the ball uh, and they didn't create a ton of chances, and uh, they really only did so when their backs were to, uh, against the wall. And we've seen in these last couple of games, you know, with leads, it just hasn't been good enough. They haven't been able to keep the ball, keep other teams from uh, doing what they want. And, and you know, Colombia's no slouch, no doubt about that. But when you see Canada play Colombia and perhaps a, um, you know, better than the U.S., that's got to be some alarm bells. For people, regardless of the the roster options that you have out there, and then of course this Ireland match is one that that everybody who who follows this team will want to forget. Um, it's just not good enough, and I think a lot of people are starting to transfer some of those worries from not the team but to the guy that leads the team, and that would be Jurgen Klinsmann, of course. Now, obviously, you working with the MLS, I'm, I'm su- it must have been pretty uneasy hearing the national team coach sort of badmouth the league. Is Klinsmann sort of in the right saying of the talent in Europe or of course after what he've, we've seen some of the guys he called up for these recent friendlies were German players but mm-hmm. could he may have taken better MLS players you know I, I think that sometimes I think that having covered Klinsman for you know a couple of years here now I, I think that he likes to play mind games and he likes to challenge the status quo uh, a lot of times in the media and say things that that get people talking to him. I think he's making. He thinks he's making progress in that sense. And in a lot of ways, I would agree. These are things that we wouldn't be talking about if Jurgen Klinsmann wasn't saying them. Um, his, his reliance on you know German-born Americans is is no surprise. Bob Bradley was doing that before Jurgen got in the mix. You know, Jermaine Jones got his start under Bob, of course, and, and that led to a lot of guys coming in. I'm not sure necessarily that it's there are better players in MLS. And I think Klinsman, as you saw in the World Cup, is, is more than willing to use MLS players and use them in prominent positions. I think what he's calling for is just a higher standard from everybody, from the players to, to dream for 
you know, the biggest and the best. And, and while I think that MLS can deliver that in a lot of ways, there's no doubt that the level of play is higher in a place like Germany or England or Spain. The question is, if you're not going to play or you're not going to be a prominent player, if you go there, is it really better for your own development? So uh, for me, I hear what he says about a lot of these things, and, and there are elements that I agree with and certainly elements that I disagree with, but I think the overriding factor when it comes to talent and movement and young players is that it's an individual proposition for every single guy. And I think that's maybe one thing that it's tough to hear when, when he makes these kind of overarching proclamations is that, yeah, there's some players that that applies to, and that's true for, but there are an awful lot of them that, that maybe we better served in a, a different way. So um, for me, it's kind of parsing into what he's saying and not, not taking everything at face value because in some, some ways I think he's just looking to make an impact, looking to make a shock, and, and looking to get people talking, and many times he succeeds. What's missing on the field for the U.S. men's national team? A lot of soccer experts are saying it's the midfield. Some are saying possession out of the back. You know, I don't know that anything is necessarily missing other than identity. You know, you're not seeing this team have a a hard and fast identity, something that really rules everything that they do when they're on the field. Uh, and personally, I would I would put that on the coach. You saw under Bob Bradley when this team. Um, decided it was going to be a counterattacking side, decided that it was going to be in that, that 4-2-2-2 kind of bucket formation there, that they had success. They go and they they beat a Spain. They they make it to the final of the Confederations Cup. They you know, have a run, have an opportunity to knock out Ghana and move on, a huge missed opportunity for, for U.S. soccer in general. But I just don't see that identity with the U.S., and I don't see progress from game to game as you attempt to build on that and attempt to build on um, you know, the, the different partnerships on the field and, and the way that you want to play and the way that you want to approach games, the way you want to approach games against the big teams and against maybe the smaller teams. Um, so that, that's, I think, what I'm hoping for, hoping to see over the next year or so. Jurgen Klinsmann said after the World Cup that it was going to be all about young players, all about kind of priming the pump as they move forward. I don't know that we've necessarily seen as much of that as I thought here in this calendar, at the end of this calendar year, but... Um, for me, identity. Settle on an identity. Get the right players in to do that. Drill them on that. Um, we've just seen so much change uh, before the World Cup, during the World Cup, and now after that I'd just like to see some consistency and ideas. Hey, Andrew Weeby, MLSsoccer.com, joining us here on Fanatic Radio. What was your initial reaction when you, when you heard the news that the U.S. Soccer Federation might consider using a Belgian firm, the Double Pass Group, to help sort of restructure the the American youth soccer development system to prime uh, leagues like the MLS and eventually the national team? I think it's a good thing. I think anytime you, you go out and get uh, best practices and you work with people that have experience doing this stuff, there, there's that can't be a bad thing. I, I think nobody in the U.S. is naive enough to think that we've got this stuff figured out when it comes to youth development. Far from it. But I think everybody also understands that, that this country is a unique beast in that sense. This is not a place where, you know, a local scout can go out and see all these different games uh, and see, you know, 20% of the, the country's, you know, populace in a couple weeks. It's just too big. There's too many places to go, too many players that, that could get lost in the cracks, the immigration um, stuff can be difficult with, with maybe players uh, immigrating from Mexico or Central America, maybe not being in the same uh, kind of spotlight that, that other players are. So I think it's all about finding 
some of the best practices that might work here in the U.S. and then tweaking them for our individual needs because it's just not going to work the same way as, as somewhere else. The, the umbrella is too big. The footprint's too big. Um, makes sense to me. We've been borrowing ideas from, from you know, the Bundesliga, from the German national team, from, you know, Spain, Barcelona, wherever, whatever tactical system seems to be um, the popular one at the time. You see coaches start to pull from that. It, it only makes sense to me that you would go and say, you know what, who's got this figured out? Who's helped other people figure this out? Tell us, you know, give us some advice, and we'll decide how to implement it. And switching gears, coming back stateside for the MLS playoffs, semifinals, four fantastic teams, starting with the East Coast with Red Bulls against the Revolution. Is is this sort of the last year that Terry Henry can prove something? The rumors that he will maybe retire at the end or at least or at least leave the MLS at the mm-hmm. end of the season. So have, is this a little something extra that he has to prove to win the MLS Cup? You know, I don't know that it's about proving anything. You look at Thierry Henry's career, I don't think he has to prove anything to anybody. The fact is, though, that the New York Red Bulls have not been successful in the playoffs. They've been a team that's invested a lot of money in in players, certainly on the designated player side, and they've made the playoffs a lot. They just haven't done much when they get there. And I think Thierry Henry has been very consistent, even with every step forward, making the playoffs, getting out of that knockout round game, then getting past D.C. and, and saying, we haven't done anything yet. And for a guy like Thierry that's used to winning things, that rings true. And I, I think, you know, like you saw with David Beckham going out on that high note, Thierry Henry, I'm sure, would love nothing more than to win this title. And then, you know, then we'll see what he decides to do. He's still keeping that very, very close to uh, close to him. So um, I don't think he has anything necessarily to prove. I think the Red Bulls as an organization certainly do in the playoffs. And Thierry is part and parcel to those efforts. But to me, his legacy in MLS, his legacy as a as a you know professional soccer player, as an international, it doesn't hinge on this postseason. Would it be a nice cherry on top? Certainly. Of course, he goes up against the Revolution's team ever since Jermaine Jones signed with the club. Just constant wins, and then now you see Lee Wynn get called up back to the, the men's national mm-hmm. team. What has been the sort of secret formula behind the Revolution's recent success? Well, I, I think you you knocked the two on the head right there. I mean, it's a team that we talked about identity that, that knows how they want to play. They're more than willing to, um, to to drop in a little bit and let you come at them, and then they can get out in the open field with the best of them. You know, you got Teal Bumber, you got Kellen Rowe doing it, you got Lee Wynn leading it from behind there. I think the key to all this uh, was Jermaine Jones and giving them the freedom to do that without thinking, you know what, are we going to get hurt if we push numbers forward? Because you have him behind both opening up the play with those – those passes uh, through the channels and over the top, but also snuffing stuff on the other side. He's, he can cover just so much ground. And with two holding players in there with him and, and Caldwell, even though Jones does like to roam, um, I, I think they just figured out how to get the best out of Lee Wynn. And when you get the best out of Lee Wynn, all of a sudden you start thinking, boy, this guy might be the best player in the league. And he's shown that here for a while now. Um, it's just incredible to, to see what they've been able to do after – and then you look back and you say, oh, this team lost nine straight games. This team had the worst nine-game stretch, ten-game stretch in the league this year and somehow still finished second in the East and now are probably the favorites in the East to go to MLS Cup. It's uh, it's pretty incredible, uh, that turnaround. And, um, you know, as you reference, I think it comes down to those two guys, just um, just elite players in MLS at their positions. And of course, leg one of the East Conference semifinals, 130 Eastern on Sunday NBC. 
for the Western Conference, though, that that's it could be very interesting considering the previous matchups this year between Seattle and LA. Are we just another expectations of of a hard fought game between two of the MLS's best clubs, especially the Sounders, looking to achieve the treble. Mm-hmm. So much to prove for both sides. You know, you, you mentioned the treble. I mean, it's it's not just the treble. I think more importantly, it's MLS Cup. You know, uh, those fans were happy with an Open Cup title. They were happy with the Supporters' Shield. But it really is all about MLS Cup in Seattle. That's the one they want. That's the one that's been so elusive. Um, and they feel like they have the team to do it right now. And, and I don't think you could argue with that. And then, of course, everybody knows about Landon Donovan and that storyline and, you know, trying to send himself out on a high note, trying to get the L.A. Galaxy five MLS Cups, which would then pass D.C. United for most ever and, and kind of put them in a position to say, look, we're the best ever club in this league's history. And I think that's important to that franchise, that that legacy of greatness. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you at the end of the season, Seattle handles business and gets a draw and a win, and, and everybody's thinking, okay, they're the favorites. And then L.A. has a, you know, as they're wont to do, have a 5-0 beatdown and, and run Real Salt Lake off the park, and all of a sudden now they're the favorites. Um, Kobe Jones said recently that he, he feels like these two teams were just preparing all year to meet each other, and I, I think that's probably accurate. And I don't think we've seen the best from either team in their three previous matchups this year. They've just been guys missing. Chad Marshall in that 3-0 win, uh, 3-0 win for L.A. And then, of course, Robbie Keane and Omar at the end of the season for uh, L.A. in Seattle. So uh, this, I hope, is the opportunity to see both teams at full strength, fully rested, firing on all cylinders. And um, if their play this year is any indication, this is, uh, this is, this is one you won't want to miss there on Sunday. It should be exciting. 5 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Galaxy, Seattle, going at it. And leg one, of course, leg two for both sides and for both conferences will be that following week. Interesting how the whole aggregate system could work out with home and row wins. But Andrew Weeby of MLSsoccer.com, thank you for joining us here on FNAC Radio, talking a little bit of the uh, the beautiful game with us on the show. Yeah, no doubt, guys. Enjoy the weekend. And we will send it to Music Break. When we come back on the flip side, Flo and I will be joined with Kendra Faustin of the Niagara women's basketball team, stranded in the snow in the New York snow. And a uh, little, little um, snow-blowing wisdom from the Zon himself. Uh, you're listening to FNAC Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers here on Block Talk Radio. Fanatic Radio. Even with the way they're playing, we could go undefeated. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Block Talk Radio.
Radio. Of course, that was bad company feeling like making love here on Fanatic Radio. 
blogtalkradio.com's premier sports music program. We're not crazy, we're just fanatics. Fanatic for Flowers, presented by 1-800-Flowers. <laughs> as we would like to remind you that you can give thanks and send smiles. For Fanatic Radio's Thanksgiving episode, you can save 20% when you order flowers and gifts from our exclusive collection at 1-800-Flowers.com. Make sure to use the promo code TURKEY20, spelled T-R-K-Y-T-W-N-T-Y. When you check out, an offer ends 11:25. So now we will return to some uh, some exciting news, as Flo mentioned at the top of the uh, show, with the all-great weather. And uh, Bifla, your thoughts on on just the snow that's been sweeping the, na- the not even the nation that's just been sweeping yeah. the Northeast. Yeah, and particularly uh, areas around Lake Erie and and specifically western New York. I mean, they, they show probably had a pilot video of this storm just brewing off of Lake Erie, and it was just wild to see. You see uh, some of the videos, some of the pictures, and obviously there's been so much talk about it because the Buffalo Bills are playing at home at Orchard Park, the stadium, Ralph Wilson Stadium. Covered in snow, and what happened is that it's, a, it's such a serious uh, issue that they had to move the game. Just Bills this Sunday, the move is Monday night, and the moving to Detroit, a la with the Giants, the Vikings a few years ago. And there was a snow issue in 2000 and uh, 2010, 2011. And what happened there is that it was 2010. The Metronome fell apart. So it's going to be Monday night, 7 o'clock, local market for both. And we're really just completely wild weather in uh, Western New York. It's, it's pretty crazy to see. Yeah, and of course the Bills are even offering tickets for fans to come down and shovel snow. We actually saw this. Uh, at the University of Minnesota Stadium. My freshman year, my freshman roommate, John Gast, I want to give a shout-out to him, uh, native of, of the Twin Cities, he uh, he got paid 10 bucks to help shovel snow at the University of Minnesota Stadium. And so now the Bills, instead of money, are offering tickets. And a guy who would definitely want to jump on that is uh, WFAN's Mike Francesa, who, uh, as Flo gave to me uh, as a soundbite earlier this week, apparently he's a... Uh, He's a very good snowblower. Snowblowing guys know you got to shift it and go really shoot it straight and shoot it here and shoot it there. And It's the technique. There's an art to doing it. I could have that place cleaned out in a couple hours. Always great uh, zon, zon bites. But uh, we move forward now with another interview. <laughs> the uh, Niagara women's basketball team, they do play uh, on Saturday at Buffalo. So only a short trip away. But unfortunately, previously during this week, they were coming back from a road trip when they played at Pittsburgh. And we've heard stories of of teams getting stuck in the snow. But from what they've experienced in this past week is <laughs> is something that goes just miles beyond. And she's Kendra Faustin of the uh, Niagara women's basketball team head coach. Joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. How are you doing, especially after the past 48 hours? How are uh, yourself, the coaching staff, and the rest of the team doing? Well, you know, we're we're getting rested up. I think the team is, is pretty rested, which is good. Uh, we're going to practice for the first time this afternoon. 
Um, and you know, it's just it's been a, it's been a lot. It's been a lot when 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 you get out of you know during during that whole I don't know what we're calling it uh, incident issue fiasco whatever you want to call it um, we we were you know mentally tough and and we took care of each other and then after when when the weight of of that situation when you reflect on it, it it's it's like all the adrenaline is gone and we're okay and we're so thankful for that and then you look back on oof that was intense and and it the the after effects you know, emotionally, physically, are are pretty intense. Has you have you as a coach ever experienced anything like that? Because you know, we always hear stories of buses break down, but never stranded for more than twenty four hours. No, I haven't. I um I went to school in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um and and our travel was pretty brutal, and we did it all by bus with both the men's and the women's team on the same bus, um and we went through some serious storms, but nothing ever like this. I guess in the first few hours it, it seems like 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 help would come, the snow would stop. But then about midway, say, you know, thirteen, fourteen hours, what did you and your staff sort of do and realize that this this could be a long time? Yeah, when it when it started to get dark that second night, um that that's when a lot of the anxiety set in. So we you know, we just we kept talking to the team. Um, you know, we had a little team meeting. We prayed every hour, um, and we just we talked about, hey, listen, we're going to have to get serious about rationing our food. There's plenty of water because there's plenty of snow to melt. Um, we had heat enough fuel to heat the bus for about three days, um, so we were really thankful for that. There was a car behind us who was worried about running out of gas. He ended up hopping on our bus with us. So we were thankful we could at least help somebody else. We felt very helpless, but at least we could, you know, help him. Um, but you know, we just we we as a staff said, listen, we have to we have to set a good example and you know make sure that our spirits stay high and um, and we stay focused on. We can't control it. We're here. We're going to make the best of it. Let's keep it light um, as light as we can. And you know, normally, you know, we're as a staff we're responsible for all of the behaviors of of 18 to 22 year old young young women and uh and a sense of stress normally is social media. Mm-hmm. And in this case, and social media gets a bad rap, but in this case for us being able to get messages whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, in and out and have some contact with the outside world and all of the people that reached out to us and supported us and prayed for us and thought about us that really energized us and and kept us really positive, and so social media became a really positive thing for us during that time of of, of stress. It, it I, I mean, I can't say enough how much that helped. I mean, we, you know, friends, family, we made a lot of new friends that were really supportive. I have gotten countless emails and and Twitter messages from people that I have never spoke to, or, you know, just showing their support. I mean, former former players, alumni, um, former recruits that didn't choose Niagara that, you know, reached out and said, Coach, you know, we're we're really thinking about you and it, it was it it really was energizing for us and, and kept us positive. So I was gonna say about ten, twenty years ago, social media was, was just an afterthought and now you have all these people reaching out to you, and in terms of a, as a coach uh, seeing your program get 
this sort of national recognition. It's got to feel good for you to know that so many people cared about you guys. No question. And and I've gotten calls from, you know, Nikki Caldwell at, at LSU reached out and, you know, was kind enough to say I felt compelled to reach out. You don't have to call me back. You don't have to text me back. But just know, you know, we're thinking of you and we're, we're glad you're safe. Um, you know, our, our women's basketball community has been, you know, so supportive. I mean, I can't even keep up with the emails and the text messages, um, you know, as much as I would, would love to. Uh, you know, have contact with everybody. You know, we're doing our best, um, but it's 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 the o- overwhelming sense of, of caring in, in our women's basketball community has. It, it really puts perspective on what's important. You know, if if we're going to take anything out of this, perspective is is a big thing. You know, there there the death the death toll now is nine people have lost their lives in this storm, and uh, I hope I don't get chopped up talking about it. But <clears throat> nine people. You know, there are nine families. And I guess in terms of the, the whole upper of New York, just, just all that snow that's coming in, and looking at your schedule ahead, you may be making probably more road trips back up there. Is is this sort of now now that you guys have experienced this, is this a good backup plan going forward? Yeah, I think we're going to book a couple more flights. I'd rather be stuck in an airport um, than, than, uh, than in a bus on the thruway. Um, our next road trip, we play at the University of Buffalo on Saturday, and that's a really short trip. Um, and that is on the north east side of Buffalo, and, and the weather is good there. Um, if it's at all supposed to be bad, clearly we won't be making the trip. Um, but that's about a half an hour from our campus. So, you know, we're, we're thankful we get to our first, our first road trip out of, out of this or after this is, is a short one. She's Kendra Faustin, head women's basketball coach at Niagara University on Fanatic Radio. That people always say after events like this, where the adrenaline's high and you're trying to to find out what the next thing to do. Many many sports people say that getting back on the court, back on the field, is always a good sanctuary to sort of block it out and get back to business. Are you excited mm-hmm. for uh, for the next practice? And what are you going to tell your team sort of those first few minutes when you guys huddle up? Yeah, well, we we always talk about in our program that what you learn here is not just how to be a high-functioning basketball team, um, but the lessons you learn here, and in, in all athletics, you know, is those those lessons and characteristics and tools are, are going to help you be successful in life. And I don't know if there's a better example than what we went through. And it's, you know, we you choose, you can't choose what happens, but you choose how you react to it. And, you know, we talk about on the basketball court as next play. You you know, if you turn it over, you can't worry about the turnover. you got to worry about playing defense. And don't let one mistake turn into two and three and four. And I don't know if there's a better example than what we just went through on, um, you know, we can't control what happened, and let's take what we've learned and apply it to to the basketball court, and um, and and be successful there. Do you feel like you've got to you know your team a little better now after spending almost a full a full day and a half on a bus with them? Yeah, we spend a lot of time together, um, but never never twenty you know never thirty hours straight in close quarters. So um, you know, I I knew when we had our tip off dinner. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talk, I, I spoke to our season ticket holders and, and, you know, supporters and talked about how much fun this team is. 
and how much I enjoy coaching them and being around them. And, um, you know, they proved me right in that because, like I said, not once did I hear get me off this bus or complaining or any sort of selfishness. It was together, we're going to do it together, we're going to stay positive. Um, and, and I certainly, you know, I have learned a lot from them. And uh, we definitely know each other on a different level now. And going forward, you you mentioned you have a game against Buffalo. It's two o'clock on ESPN three, and then you go to Binghamton. There's these next two games. Uh, basketball talk now. What are some of the thing adjustments that you'd like to see your team do on the floor as opposed to the first two games of the season? Well, number one is we have to rebound, um, and we need to do a better better job battling on the boards. Um, and then the second thing is is you know sharing the basketball and and getting some movement, um, taking care of the ball. And, you know, like I said, ironically, uh, we, we learned some of those those parallel lessons together, um, but that's what we need to do on the floor. And uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Coach. For, uh, for the rest of the season, uh, does, it look, does it look like the team has, um, has what it takes to make a run at the NCAA tournament? You know, I know it's very early to talk about it, but they yeah. always look – Teams always look for some inspiring moment. Do you think just all the support you guys have gotten, the national attention, you know, the interviews with Anderson Cooper and every and everyone, do you mm-hmm. feel like that, that's enough to propel and you Mike. guys forward? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and us as well. Do you think it's um, just little things like that and the team bonding that you guys went through to really give you guys an edge over teams? You know, I think we'll certainly use this as motivation, and it's it's all been really positive out of a, of a tough situation. Um, we have a talented group uh, on the basketball court, certainly a great group on and off. Um, you know, we, we bas- strictly basketball-wise, we were picked preseason to finish fifth in our conference. And um, even before all of this happened, I said, you know, we were picked fifth. And, you know, that's that's positive. Um, and so people, you know, have think that we're good, but they just don't know how good. And um, I, I know that once we put this together, um, that will will be will be a, certainly a contender. All right, and you can catch the Purple Eagles on ESPN three, November twenty second against Buffalo two p.m. Also go to purpleeagles.com to follow live stats and follow the Niagara University women's basketball team head coach Kendra Fossen joins us here on Fanatic Radio. Thanks again for taking the time to join us and best of luck to the season. Also try to, as you mentioned, try to book more plane flights. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And you can also catch her interview and Andrew Weeby of MLSsoccer.com on the podcast on iTunes and the lovely Beflow360.com. <laughs> so roll forward with our football talk, as we mentioned in the first 30 minutes of the show, the Adrian Peterson scenario. Now we go to some more NFL. And big games, obviously, for Thanksgiving. This is our FNAC Radio Thanksgiving episode and big games this week. But as we're slowly approaching halfway in the season flow, who has been the most surprising team in the NFL docket? You know, I think that after they had such a successful year last year, to say that this team was surprising, on face value, maybe not. But the fact that the Arizona Cardinals are sitting with the best record of football at 9-1, and one, when they've had to start, and they're now without their, well, without Carson Clark for a few weeks early in the year. Now they're without him for the remainder of the season. 
But the fact that, you know, there's a great piece in Sports Illustrated about, you know, Bruce Arians, who's a New Jersey now legend, by the way, promoting his next man up philosophy. You know, somebody gets that, you have to be ready to play. And Drew Stan's involved, abided by that. And you think about that for the rest of the team as well. This team has been playing some tremendous football. And while I'm not surprised that they're good, I'm surprised at how good they are to this point. Yeah, because you know, Larry Fitzgerald, Ben, you're saying he's getting old, but he's still he's still been great. The defense has been great. Bruce Arians has really sold this team something. And you know, at, when, when Carson Palmer went down, he immediately says we can win the Super Bowl. Drew Stanton, and many people are like, who the hell is Drew Stanton? <laughs> <laughs> but I like that with the uh, the Arizona Cardinals. They play at Seattle, so it's a big test to see how uh, good they can do in the NFC West. That game's the four o'clock game on. Fox. Some big games also. Cowboys Giants in New York. Uh NBC has the Sunday night football game. The Cowboys have been a little bit of a slump. Hopefully they try to snap and get get out of it. And then a interesting game that could get in the very high scoring numbers. Lions Patriots with uh, with Stafford and Calvin Johnson and then of course Tom Brady at the monster game that they had on Sunday night against the Colts. The Pats have been the Pats have been looking just as good, if not better, if it was, you know Tom Brady and your boy Aaron Rodgers, as we mentioned, is Brady seriously in the MVP you know, discussion? Yeah, as you know, Peyton Manning is struggling with the Broncos in these past few weeks. Yeah, I think he's definitely. He was actually my guy when I made my midseason awards a couple weeks ago. He was my guy. I don't know a week ago that I had at midpoint. I think Aaron Rodgers now is giving him run for his money. Andrew Luck was in that mix, but, you know, with a loss on Sunday night, that hurt him a little bit. But I think Tom Brady, the fact that he's just been brilliant ever since that Chiefs loss where everyone thought, at least a lot of people thought, myself included, that this team just wasn't that good. And he's been absolutely sensational since. And, again, he still does not have a great supporting cast. This is not the Patriots team with Randy Moss and Welker and all those guys that went to the that, Super Bowl, and they won every game except for the Super Bowl. So I think Brady is very much in the mix, and I think nobody would surprise be surprised if he ends up winning the award altogether. Yeah, because I mean, the, the great Sports Illustrated article you know, about how Bill Belichick can just find random players and make them great, especially running backs. You know, back in the days uh, when, when Falk was playing with them, and then we had Danny Woodhead. So Pat, Pat's game definitely is one to look out for. And then the next week, when when Flo and I are on the Thanksgiving break, <laughs> the Thanksgiving games, the Bears and the Lions, which uh, should be fantastic considering that many want Mark Tressman's head because the Bears have stunk. Well, I've been disappointed with them. Because that was a team you had one of the best, next to Peyton Manning and the Broncos, one of the best receiving cores in the National Football League. You know, Alshon Jeffries, Brandon Marshall, Solid tight ends. Forte, the running back. Cutler's done a great job. You know, it's it proved to be a good quarterback, and they just stunk. I don't know why. I don't know how. They've stunk. <laughs> and then the, then the Cowboys, they got to go play from Sunday night and then play on Thursday. If they drop both these games to the Giants and the Eagles, who's to blame down in Jerry World? You know, I think that... It's gonna. It'd be very interesting to see how the team moves. I think Garrett may actually see the bulk of the blame. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say, 
probably the defense because the defense has actually been better, but they're still not that good on the, the defensive side of the ball. I mean, but, you know, DeMarco Murray's been sensational. And Tony Romo, for the most part, has played pretty well. If he can stay healthy, this team, I would be relatively surprised if they fell out of the playoff mix. I think the problem, in my opinion, I did my playoff projections uh, the other day, I think they'll make the playoffs. But, you know, they, they had to tread lightly. You know, in the NFL, you can't get in. We saw this last night. I had the Chiefs as my eliminator pick and lock of the week, and they lost to the Raiders, who got their first win of the season. So, really. In the rain, point, in the Coliseum. Yeah. It, just it, never, looked, it never looked better. It never looked better. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so uh, great stuff. When we come back on the flip side of another music break, we'll talk some uh, yeah. some college sports, college football, as some big games are coming out over the Thanksgiving break, and some college basketball as the season is officially tipped off with some some big surprises. And, of course, everyone's favorite question, can a college team beat an NBA team as the Kentucky oh. Wildcats kicked the snot out of Kansas after Mike Gardner said on this show they're a team to watch out for. But you're once again you're listening to Fanatic Radio, blogtalkradio.com. Also check out the podcast on iTunes and Beefo 360. More after this. It's Fanatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio.
that's Weezer, Island in the Sun, off of the, uh, the Green Album. Old school song, many really don't know that, but Weezer's been around for like 20 years. And we get to play it here on Fanatic Radio. Mike Arter, Ben Florence, America's premier sports music program. Presented by 1-800-Flowers, reminding you, fans, it's our Thanksgiving episode here on FR. And it's time to give thanks and send smiles so you can save 20% when you order flowers and gifts from our exclusive collection at 1-800-Flowers.com. Make sure to use the promo code TURKEY20, spelled T-R-K-Y-T-W-N-T-Y, when you check out your beautiful bouquet for that beautiful Thanksgiving table. You know, a Norm Rockwell painting. Why not? You can make it with 1-800-Flowers. Offer ends the 25th of November. As you also want to remind you that we are not going to be on the air next week because it'll be Thanksgiving. <laughs> so we will roll forward with some college football picks. The playoffs yeah. came out. This uh, you know, read rankings came out, and everyone is up in arms again as some teams are snubbed. Just a little preview of of the many future tweaks that could be made to this college football playoff. Well, I've heard rumors that. You know, one of the tweaks would be just add eight teams. Add eight teams, and then all this would go away. Of course, knowing college football, it can never go away. But that being said, some big teams are back in the hunt, among others, Baylor and the Ohio State. Flo, who is, it, who is a team that you would like to see get in that just isn't getting the love from the selection committee? You know, you have Mississippi State, who's now fourth. Not a lot of people think if they win out, they'll get in. Uh, a lot of people think it's either going to be Baylor, not as much TCU. A lot of people think TCU may have peaked at five, and I actually agree with them. But I still cannot see them uh, getting into the playoffs ahead of Baylor. Yes, you can make the case that they're, you know, that they are better. But you know, the, the fact that the the, well, the ridiculous thing about the committee is that you know they're they're valuing TCU beating Minnesota so much. And they're still ranking Minnesota, but it's ridiculous. They're valuing TCU beating Minnesota more than Baylor beating TCU. So, but anyways, of those teams that I think would be in the mix, you know, Baylor, I'll throw TCU in there, uh, Ohio State, and uh, Mississippi State. I would actually like to see, and you know, you know, everyone's in there, oh, there's SEC bias. I, I think of those four teams, I do think Mississippi State, I've been high on, last time we had that pick them to beat out there. I would like to see Mississippi State, but beyond that, you know, TCU's play very well. Baylor's offense is other studies. Ohio State has been tremendous ever since the disastrous loss at home to Virginia Tech. But I would actually like to see Mississippi State get in. I don't think it will, they will, unless the, some other teams will lose. But uh, that's what I would like to see in uh, the final what? four, if you will. Exactly. So no, no big games uh, in, in terms of, of big play. A lot of spoilers could happen. But not. I'm not seeing a lot of upsets with this week's college football schedule. There's a lot of good games, not really good ranked-on-ranked action, but a lot of good games that could really set the, uh, the, the tone for the last few weeks of college football. Because fans, just to remind you that we were only four weeks away from the last game That's of the right. season. So, which I, which I love, there's 16 weeks of college football. But some of these teams only have like three games left. So a lot of these games uh, could dictate where they two. go. Yeah, exactly. The big ranked games and big games that could really matter, uh, the 330 games are, are probably the best. You see Jameis Winston, Florida State in action against Boston College on ABC, ESPN2. Ole Miss 
at Arkansas. Arkansas coming up that big win, first conference game in you know since since the Stone Age. CBS, yeah. Vernon Gary Danielson on the call. That's in that's in Fayetteville, and then Arizona plays Utah, who are in the teens in rankings, but are are very good clubs as well. Yeah. And then big primetime game, uh, USC UCLA. USC could play spoiler after drumming Cal. Uh, and they could play spoiler to UCLA, who's back at number nine. You know, UCLA and Baylor, teams that that rose, that rose and fell, now are back in back in the hunt because you know, see, you saw teams like Arizona State lose, and then you know if Ohio State runs the table, they still got to play in that championship game. But for in honor of Thanksgiving weekend, the big matchups are Thursday and Friday of next yeah. week. The th- and that, that Thanksgiving game between TCU-Texas. Many are saying that Texas could pull off the upset. Charlie Strong's team, could they really be in full form to upset TCU? Because the TCU's looked awful the last few weeks. You know, they came off a big win against Kansas State, which I thought, yeah, they're going to run the tables. They're going to they're going to win the Big 12. And then all of a sudden, yeah. they struggle against Kansas, and they go down to Austin, where I think they'll probably lose. You know, it's actually interesting, uh, you know, in regards to this Texas team. You know, Texas, start of the year, they just looked awful. Yeah. But you look at them, you look at them now, they've played very good football of late. Charlie's trying for a team that doesn't have as many guys as horses as the Texas team usually was the all the guys kicked off. But Charlie Strong, heck of a football coach. He's done a really good job this year. They're going to go to a bowl game. And if TCU, I mean, TCU struggled to beat, Kansas of all teams, which is just which is unbelievable because Kansas is off. So, so I I think that TCU probably will win that game, but they better not sleep on the horns, man, because they've been playing some very good football. They've been looking pretty good, especially compared to where they were at the start of the year. Well, most most fans, I want to throw a, throw a stat out to you, fans. Listen, you know, Texas is six and five, a pretty mediocre year in terms of national standings. But they're fourth in the Big 12, first of all, a very good Big 12, where at most time half the conference was ranked. And I just yeah. want to read their, their losses and to the teams they lost to. To BYU, They got drummed against BYU, and that's the game where everyone thought this team stinks. Charlie Strong is a mistake. They have no discipline. He's got a big, big, you know, big row to hoe. Then their, their next four <laughs> losses, number 12 UCLA, number 7 Baylor, number 11 Oklahoma, and then number 11 Kansas State. So – their losses are against teams that have been in every single one of those teams has cracked the top five, at least once, if not the top ten, once or twice. I think they've got everything going for them. They have nothing to lose. They have a home game, a chance to play mm-hmm. spoiler. I'm seeing Texas get the big upset on Thanksgiving Day, Ooh. and then of course that Friday, you know, or that Saturday, probably some of the you know, biggest matchups of the year. The Egg Bowl and Das Iron Bowl. A big, speaking of SEC picture, these are next Saturday, November 29th games. Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Theoretically, Ole Miss has, is, is still not out of it. Yeah. With, with Ole Miss beating Mississippi State and number 14 Auburn upsetting number one Bama in Tuscaloosa, could put Ole uh-huh. Miss back in the SEC title game. Is it almost better to to sort of rest on these strength of schedule teams and and not feel so bad if you lose because the the, the committee will look at these teams and say you know they have a strength of schedule 
So do, do the SEC teams really have something to worry about? You know, I don't think – I think it's basically a lock at this point that you're going to have one SEC team in unless there was, was something, you know, unexpected. Like, you know, I think everyone is expecting Alabama to win out. Let's say they were to lose and either get Auburn or get in the championship game. I think if they lost against Auburn – Mississippi State wins out. They'll definitely be it. I think I would be very surprised if there wasn't any games at all. But I think that you're pro unless you, they get some help. I don't think you're going to see two SEC teams. But I feel like with how good Alabama is looking, that they're going to run the table. And then if they get another one, they should be happy about that. But I I think that at this point, that they're really the only spot in question is that fourth spot. If everybody, if everything else holds up, the fourth spot is going to be something to watch. But I don't think the SEC has too much to worry. And even if Alabama were to lose, well, more so if they lost to get Auburn, then again the SEC championship game. But let's say if they were to lose, I would not be, I would not put it out of the realm of possibility that a two-loss Alabama team would get in over uh, perhaps a one-loss uh, two team, for example. A big test. Or even for Ole Miss, if they if they were to beat Mississippi State and Alabama were still to win, Ole Miss could get that fourth spot because their only losses are to just better teams, and they beat Alabama. So it, it's it's absolutely insane and it's nuts. And to to go over those games of next week, rivalry weekend, Thanksgiving Day, the Texas TCU game is Thanksgiving Day, seven thirty Eastern, Fox Sports One. It should, it should be an exciting game. You can flip back and forth the LSU and M game. I don't know why not, but but whatever. <laughs> the Friday game, it's the you know the big the, the 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 big game, the Cup Arizona State Arizona. Depending on what happens to the Pac-12, Arizona State could be back up in a chance. I think that game, if Arizona if Arizona beats Utah, this Arizona State Arizona game could maybe decide who goes to the Pac-12 championship. Also, pending on what happens with the UCLA USC game, and then Saturday, you've got clean old-fashioned hate on the SEC Network. Georgia Tech and Georgia, who is back in the top ten. I don't know why. Now Todd Gurley's back. (laughs) Who knows what this team could do? And then you have the Egg Bowl at Mississippi State, Ole Miss, CBS 3:30, and then later that night, the Iron Bowl 7:45 on ESPN, Auburn and number one Alabama. So that is your slate of of college football madness. And just to That's go right. over, Ole Miss plays Arkansas this week, Arizona at Utah this week. Those are 3.30 Eastern games and an 8 o'clock primetime game, USC-UCLA this Saturday. And I'm out of breath because it's so much college football to uh, to <laughs> absorb. But Let's talk some b-balls. So college ba- I'm going to switch to college basketball. The great debate comes up. After watching the Champions Classic, oh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to uh, to my brother John Gardner, who is uh, who is at yes. the Garden as we speak, watching the 2K Classic, benefiting Wounded Warriors Project of the Q's in Iowa, and then Texas, <laughs> who I bashed on the show but said it was a good team, came back from behind last night to defeat Iowa. They play. Cal, who beat the Q's by like 
15 with some great <laughs> outside shooting, even though the Qs did everything they could to lose that game. As Beheim just was standing in awe on the sidelines with his always great pandering self. But I do want to give a shout out to, to Texas. Uh, still don't like Rick Barnes. It's like it's like me to Texas is like Flo and the Wizards. They're a good team. I have no beefs with the team. Just don't like the coach. I don't think Rick Barnes is the answer. Oh uh, yeah. Nevertheless, do you want to give a shout out to John Gardner who's at the Garden? And it's a great college basketball game. But another classic that happened this past week, Champions Classic. We saw two things out of, out of, out of Indianapolis. We saw a Duke team of Jalil Okafor. Prove he's a very good player. And, of course, everyone's saying, oh, he's the, he's the greatest player ever. It's like, no, it's only one game. <laughs> the second game, though, is what I want to talk about. is Kentucky-Kansas. Yeah. Usually when, team, when teams like that happen, go up against each other, the only reason of of a potential blowout is is cold shooting, because usually big teams they either are in it to the buzzer, or they'll lose by double digits because you know a bad shooting night, foul trouble, what have you. Kentucky, on the other hand, just just creamed Kansas, <laughs> and and not only did they just put the foot on the gas and kept going, they like doubled them up. Kansas didn't even get, I think Kansas didn't even reach forty. And this is a team that was ranked fourth in the country. We mentioned on the show last week, college basketball preview, you know, Kentucky is the favorite. After that yeah. game flow, it, who can stop this Kentucky team? You know, I, you know I, I've always been a pro- proponent of, sure, at least trying to adhere the philosophy of not overreacting to one of them. Yeah, Kansas, they couldn't get through the Kentucky defense at all. And then on the other end, they couldn't stop. Kentucky, as they, you know, they're using the, the the blue platoon, which seems to be working pretty well. Of course, that team just has so much talent. Unbelievable. As we mentioned, we mentioned last week, the United Gods on American. I'm not going on the record and saying that they're going to win it all and at least nobody's going to stop them just yet. But you have to give them a ton of credit for such an impressive win. They weren't going up against, you know, Central Missouri or anything like that. No need to hate on SEMO. But they're going against a pretty good Kansas team that a lot of people thought would very much be a final four. And they very well could. This is not me by chance that Kansas is going to be awful. But the way that the the Kentucky team completely shut down the Jayhawks offensively, you know, the fact that everyone talks about Kentucky has so much size is just unbelievable. That you know, but I think that now they're looking very strong. But it's still also early in the year. You know, they still have they still have a long way to go. So I'm not complaining, complaining, but I think it's been, I think that's by far the most impressive win of this season thus far. And I think that's that's pretty clear. Yeah, they they put up huge numbers. They look good doing oh, yeah. it too. They're they're big. They're linky. And, of course, that's what Cal Perry recruited when he was at Memphis. And you know, we saw guys like Chris Douglas Roberts, uh, Robert Dozier, going way back in the archives. So they, they look great. And, of course, someone who can help us out uh, cracking the case of, uh, of Kentucky is uh, notorious Josh Ponell, who joins us now here on oh, Fanatic God. Radio. Oh, What was your reaction after the, uh, <laughs> the Kentucky-Kansas game? Well, I mean, first of all, you just have to be shocked at how well Kentucky played. And not, you know, as you guys mentioned, usually when there's a blowout, you know, one team doesn't shoot well. But 
Kentucky, it wasn't even about their offense. It was just about their defense and about how they just swamped Kansas. And, you know, it's not like there was a time where, you know, Kansas made a run to get back in the game. Kentucky just owned the game all 40 minutes. It was just – I think shocking would be the best term to describe it. I mean, even Kentucky fans, was well, they weren't expecting that kind of blowout win. Well, they, had, they have big guys – you know that make you know Anthony Davis just seem normal because when he was on that team, I think it was a team with him, Terrence Jones. So they had they had a big front court. They yeah. they they've, they've played they played possessions in that game in stretches where they had like three guys over like six eight. It was just just yeah. amazing, just incredible. Okay, of course the only the only reason how this Kentucky team could lose is if a team shoots very well from outside, gets these guys in foul trouble, or they all get in trouble by the NCAA because they're illegally violating. <laughs> rules or whatever but the other side of the game and josh i know you're very excited the duke blue devils looked great of course every year when a good duke recruiting class comes in they think oh this team could run the table and win the national championship but as opposed to last year's team that lost guys like like rodney hood and javari parker quinn cook stays and jaleel Okafor comes in and all of a sudden they look like a completely different duke team a more competitive duke team are you excited for it or do you feel like there's still some flaws that coach k needs to work out I mean, I think the one big difference from last year to this year is just the consistency on both ends of the court and how, you know, there's no, like you said, there's no Jabari Parker, Rodney Hood, but it's a really balanced team, and that's the one thing that's going to really benefit them is that, I mean, Jaleel Okafor, you can, you know, you can give it to him down low. Justice Winslow has been, you know, uh-huh. at least for outsiders, a huge revelation getting uh-huh. into the basket. Mm-hmm. So it looked good. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought one of you were asking another question. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. Uh, who, so other than the two teams that, that pretty much did own the spotlight on the uh, on the Champions Classic, who is sort of your sleeper team in terms of, of college team that isn't getting the love from us or anyone else? Yeah, I'll throw teams out there like a Louisville or maybe a Gonzaga who who beat a good SMU team the other night. Or even Nova. No one's talking about Nova, and they're like fifth in the country. Fifth in the country. They're insane. Yeah, and actually, one. I'm not sure if if you guys have talked about Samia, but Iowa State is a team that could, you know, threaten to make the Final Four this year. You know, VCU, Wichita State have kind of been the big, you know, mid majors, and I don't, you really wouldn't classify Iowa State as a mid major, but you know, they're a team that, you know, they haven't been relevant in college basketball for a while, but they have a good team, Georges Niang. You know, he's a first-team All-American candidate. He's one of the best big guys in the uh, in college basketball. Iowa State is one team that you guys should uh, look out for because they could definitely make a run to the Final Four uh, in March. So they're one team I'd really keep an eye on. Yeah, we gave some love to Fred Hoiberg last week. He was a guy that took his Iowa State team. I thought that Iowa State team would have made the Final Four last year, of course. You know, what What do I know to pick the NCAA tournament? Which I want to give a shout-out <laughs> to Flo for retweeting yeah. on Beeflo360, tweeted – the NCAA sites, and uh, they're going back to first and second round, not the awful third and or second and third round. That makes everyone yeah. mad. But some people who aren't mad, uh, especially you two guys, on the campus of American University, uh, picking up a, a pretty, I mean, I wouldn't say good win. They so they they lose by three to a good Temple team, and then they barely beat, you know, St. Francis. Did we overhype American University? Or is this, is this a team that is not going to be as good as we expected? Well, this team, I mean, you just have to give them some time. I think 
I understand why people had high expectations coming into the year. You know, you only lose one player. You know, you think that with the year under Mike Brennan's Princeton offense, the team will run it better. But I think these first couple games really show how big of an impact Tony Roblicki had on the offensive end last year. Everyone knows how good he was defensively, one defensive player of the year. But the offense really ran through with the high post a lot of the time on offense. He averaged like three assists a game. And when you throw in someone like Kevin Panzer, who, you know, obviously set out last year, so he has no experience with, the, um, you know, the Princeton games, you know, the flow of the offense just isn't there yet. And so, you know, as they work toward uh, conference play throughout the non-conference schedule, they'll get there. I mean, they'll, I think by the time conference play starts, they'll be the team that everyone expected them to be heading into the year. Yeah, yeah because looking at Panzer, Panzer needs to shoot the ball more. I, I was mad <laughs> watching that game against against St. Francis. You know, you see all these, these YouTube videos in Nevada highlight clips of him shooting long range, like, like you know, twenty foot jumpers, He'll, and he gets it at the elbow in the three point arc, and they do that. They do that great play where they're where they do the, the handoff step back three. You know, ninety percent of the time it's Jesse Reed, so so any team could scout that, just just trail him or whatever. But Panzer needs to shoot. It's it's insane that you get this guy that has all this talent and his, his main job is to go to the elbow, hand off the ball. And, right. and do the dribble handoff. It's 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 woeful. But American University hopefully will will add some more uh, some showtime. Still no dunks this year. Very upsetting about that. Of course, who, who am I to blame? It's a team that that did dunk a lot, but not yeah. as much as of course we saw like the Kentucky game. That was that was uh, unreal. <laughs> but uh, the big thing though was uh, was Josh your piece in the uh, the always great the Eagle online. <laughs> yeah, it was it was getting you know, a lot of exposure because. Talk about just how you came up with the idea to try to track down all these players to sort of retell the story of, of our return to the NCAA greatness. Yeah, well, obviously, I mean, you guys were here last year. As the season unfolded, I mean, to me, it just seemed like a movie script. I mean, you have this team projected to finish second to last in the conference. You have a first-year head coach, a first-year point guard, you know, one senior Wait, on the team. Wait, they're second to last? Yeah, they were picked to finish ninth yeah, out of no, ten. I'm just kidding. Well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I love the people. You know, I'm not going to throw any names out there, but there are certain people that, that do think it, we were. De- there are certain people I think we were dead last, and no, we were not. We were second to last. Nine out of ten. I, I think people think we were even going to be worse than Navy, which is not true. <laughs> yeah, and when you look at you know where we were projected to be, and then as the season unfolds, you know we start off the conference play with ten straight wins. We had that big win against Boston. And then you also just have the individual compelling personal stories. You know, the Jesse Reed, you know, him losing his cousin who he was very close to. Obviously, that was, you know, a tough time for him. He came back, dedicated the rest of the season to him, played very well. I think he was the leading scorer. Um, YY, Yulrit, Yulyev, I, I hope I said that correctly. You know, he sure was sidelined midway through the season. And then you have them, you know, kind of come back to earth. The last eight games, they finished three and five, and people are like, okay, you know, this is the team that's more realistic what we thought would happen. And then they beat Boston in the Patriot League Championship by, you know, like 25 points, whatever it was, to get to the NCAA tournament. And it was just amazing to see the story and how it unfolded and the different characters in it. And the oral history just appealed to me because I always think it's more interesting to hear, you know, what it was like, you know, like a behind the scenes account, you know, what it was like from the people 
uh, you know, kind of directly involved in the story, the players, the coaches, what it was like from their eyes versus kind of an outsider's perspective. In your in your opinion on this year's team as well, who is who is the biggest personality that you like? Good question. Because, <laughs> man, that, that's, a, that, that's a tough one. Um, well, I guess I, I'm a big fan of uh, YY, although he's sitting this year out. I mean, he's on the roster, but he's sitting this year out. Um, I, I, think, I mean, there are really no big personalities, at least to me, that stood out. Uh, last year, I, you know, I was a big fan of Tony Roblicki and just his, you know, his one-handed free throws, yeah. all that all that came with that. But in terms of personalities, there aren't – I mean, and that's actually one of the things that uh, the coaches mentioned, that one of the reasons they were successful last year is because there's no real kind of, you know, big personalities, guys that have, you know, big egos. It's a real, you know, selfless team. Um, hardworking, and that's, you know, one thing that kept popping up, especially with guys like John Shove, Jesse Reed, even Charlie Jones, you know, the uh, walk-on freshman who had a, a very unusually large role in the Patriot League championship team. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, Josh, we'll get you out of here on this. For uh, for American, first of all, I want to give a shout-out to the volleyball team. They host the, uh, the Patriot League yeah. tournament yes. this weekend. My volleyball Goldberg, I love you. My volleyball piece was great. <laughs> and uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Josh. For uh, for this <laughs> AU team, is is the is the uh, is this Princeton offense good enough for them to uh, to win another title, or is the lack of of a true post presence? Because you know we'll see Alcano play his first full year, Panzers playing his first year in in sitting out. No big. You mentioned no big post presence. Uh, is that going to come back to haunt us when we play a team like, like a Lafayette or a Holy Cross, a team that just pounds us with the bigs? Well, just just to kind of give you guys something that I found interesting while I was putting together that oral history. This is how complicated the Princeton is. Uh, Matt Wolf, one of the assistant coaches, he this was one of the things he told me. He said even you know after we play this offense, you know four or five years. I'm not sure I'm still going to be able to fully understand the offense. And that's after him coaching it four or five years. That's how complicated <laughs> it is. And I think it was one of the freshmen. I think it was maybe Jalen Rea or Justice Montgomery or now sophomore there, freshman last year, said that the, Prince, the the reason the Princeton is so tough to guard is because there's so many options. And it's all kind of just like a read and react type offense. So you see what the defense does, and then you kind of you know move, make your cuts. And it's just—it's so tough to guard, even if you've seen it before, because it could be the same offense, but they'll make different because there's so many different options and so many different things the offense can do. Well, you can check out Josh's piece on the Fnatic Radio Facebook page: an oral history of AU men's basketball winning a title, and now reading, reacting, discombobulating offense returns back to the floor <laughs> to uh, to continue non-conference play. Unfortunately, fans. Uh, uh, the uh, the Eagles are not in the Garden. We're not playing in one of the, uh, the many tournaments there. Although we'd like oh, to, let's bring Brandon back up there. Boo, but their, their next boo. three games are down in Louisiana Tech as they yes. face the all the all entiring uh, Presbyterian, La Tech, and Moorhead no State. So those games will be uh, this weekend. And you can follow that on aviegles.com. Josh Fennell, thanks for once again for joining us here on Fanatic Radio. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. All right, B Flow. Uh, Final, final minute left in the show. Any other shout-outs you'd like to give? 
You know, great, great work by uh, Josh. I haven't read the suit, but I actually hadn't even heard of it, and that sounds fantastic. Also, we got to give a shout-out to a guy that happened to win the NASCAR Sprint Cup chase, Kevin Harvick, who had first year at Stewart Racing, wins, as I predicted, Ford 400 on Sunday, beat Newman, beat uh, Joey Logano, and he beat Danny Hamlin. A great season for Happy Harvick. Just finally gets his first championship. And it really was a tremendous final race. Yeah, it was. Uh, also, I want to give, speaking of NASCAR, I want to give Flo's boy, Casey Kane, a shout-out for renewing his contract with Hendrick. As I guess for, for now on, he'll always be this. He's like the Mario Chalmers of Hendrick Motorsports. But, yeah, they see something that we don't. Got him a new crew chief. And we love giving shout-outs here. Oh, well, why do we hate Yeah, but uh, I do. I do want to give one final not even a shout out. I just want to point out. Um, I, did, I just tweeted this. So if, you, if you're ever on my Twitter, uh, just want just want to wish everyone, at, uh, hope everyone at Florida State is safe after the recent news of a campus shooting. But um, it's the Alabama student. So I'll just stop it at there. An Alabama student who apparently oh, uh, works at ESPN's Campus Connection tweeted, you know, a jo- a very crude joke that uh, the gunman was heading for Jameis Winston. Now, I love how ESPN hires clowns like this girl, and yet B-Flo and I get no love from the mothership for a fantastic show, you know, thousands and thousands of listeners, great guests today, and yet this girl runs amok, tweeting whatever she wants, ever since now her account has been deleted, and ESPN has done nothing to discipline her, much like they don't do anything across the board. That's right. You can go, yeah, employ us, please. Playoff Radio is a great show. We'll give you ratings, and we already have a strong fan base. But once again, you can go to bflow360.com, blogtalkradio.com, slash snackradio, the Facebook page and the podcast on iTunes to listen to Andrew Wiebe of MLSsoccer.com, women's basketball coach of Niagara, Kendra Faustin. And B-Flow and I, our Thanksgiving episode of Fanatic Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers. We are off next week. See ya in December. So long, everyone.